I just prayed. I'm going to read now Exodus chapter 25. I don't know if this has got anything to... No, that's last week's. So, Exodus chapter 25. And the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take from me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive a contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twisted, uh, twinned linen, goat's hair, tanned ramskins, goatskins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastplate. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture. So, you shall make it. Now I'm going to stop there because, um, well, there's 31 chapters and I've got to stop somewhere. Uh, and the children got to leave, otherwise uh, we will have a riot. So we'll stop there, the children go, and we'll carry on. I've managed to project my voice your way. Okay, so if I, if I was to ask you, who's read all the way from chapter 25 to 31? Who has actually read that? Part of the homework... Uh, the WhatsApp group uh, have been doing well. You've all read those. Now, if I was to ask those people who have read chapters 25 to 31, which is the most boring part of the Bible, they will turn around and say, yep, we got it. Exodus chapter 25 to 31. What do you make of that? And it just seems to be, well, a matter of curtains and cubits and poles and pillars and hooks and rings and well by the time you read through all of those and count up all the different measurements you lose the will to live but don't lose the will to live just yet because if you look at chapter 25 um, and verse 8 and 9 the bit that I read it seems like they are building a tent and it's a tent where God's people will have God living with them. Chapter 25, verse 8. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may live in their midst. And so they build a tabernacle. Another word is a tent. And so we've got a tent on the screen. That's fine. Yep, we can understand that. God wants to live with his people and therefore there's this place where he does that. But why do we need to know how this tent is made? With all the measurements, the curtains and the different bits. Of God. Why do we need to know all that? But let me ask you, what happens if this is not just another tent? What happens if this is all about a brand new start for everybody? And what happens if this is how ordinary people 
can live with a very dangerous God and yet find that this God is good for them rather than harmful to them. But maybe that there's a bit more to this tent than we realize. Let's see. I want to say two things about this tent. First, it reminds us about Eden. Remember the Garden of Eden? This tent is about Eden and a brand new start. Second thing I want to say is that this tent reminds us of Mount Sinai and the God who lives in us. I've put it like this, the living God. The God who kind of stays with you. Let's take the first one first and talk about how this tells us about Eden, the Garden of Eden, and the brand new start. And it's a, a tent that uh, is uh, made that uh, reminds us how the world was made. I remember how when the world started, there were six days of darkness and oh, there was nothing. And on the mountain, there were six days of darkness. And then out of that darkness comes a whole new world where God lives with his people. Now, they've just had six days in the mountain, darkness. And now they're going to find a whole new world in which God is going to live with his people. This tent is going to introduce them to that world. So there are flashbacks with the Garden of Eden all the time. The first flashback is that in the Garden of Eden, when God makes the Garden of Eden, seven times says, God said, God said seven times. And now in this tent, amazingly the same. God says, let this happen. And so that's how the whole thing begins. Look at chapter 25, verse 1. Uh, the Lord said to Moses. That's the first time. It's a bit like uh, the Garden of Eden. The last time is uh, in... Uh, uh, chapter 31 uh, and uh, verse 12 and uh, you see that on page 72 and uh, again uh, you've uh, got that uh, the Lord said to Moses seven times the Lord says as he did in Eden another thing you find in the Garden of Eden is that everything happens because the Spirit of God is over the world. Okay, right at the start, Genesis, the first book of the Bible, chapter 1, and it tells you the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Well, when you get to this tent, the master worker is not just a master worker, he's a master worker who is full of the Spirit, hovering over everything that is made, and he is making it. So if you look at this chap in uh, chapter 31, verse 3, and you will see that uh, uh, you've got a man called Bezalel. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, gold, and bronze, cutting stones. He's going to do everything under the Spirit of God, the way it worked in the Garden of Eden. And then another thing. The things that we use to make things. 
Well, you can see in uh, chapter 3, uh, chapter 25, I just read it, between chapter 3, uh, chapter 25, verses 3 and 7, you get a lot of gold at the start and onyx stones, whatever onyx stones are, at the end. And you get to Genesis, and what do you find? In Genesis chapter 2, verse 12, the first book of the Bible, and chapter 2, verse 12, and you find out that the, the gold of that land is good. Delian and onyx stone are there. Gold at the start, onyx at the end. And again, those materials are there in the Garden of Eden and now in the tabernacle as well. And it's a fabulous place. That is actually gold everywhere. And you get these fantastic purple curtains around the gold. I mean, you walk in this place and you say, this is fabulous. It's like we can see the glory of God here. And it's like that in the Garden of Eden. The same beauty and abundance of good things in the tent as well. And then there's something else. In the Garden of Eden, one of the really important things in the middle of the Garden of Eden was a tree of life. Actually, you get that tree of life, really important part, all the way. Even at the end of the Bible, there's the tree of life. The tree that gives eternal life. And what do you find in the middle of the tent? You find a candlestick. Actually, it's a lamp with candles on. But the lamp is a bit like a tree. So if you look at how it's made, if you look at uh, uh, chapter, um, uh, chapter 25, the chapter I read, but look a bit further on to verse 31. You should make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand should be made of hammered work, its base stems, cups, its uh, calyxes, and its flowers shall be one piece with it. There'll be six branches going out of its sides. Three branches on one side, three on the other, and three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and a flower. In other words, this is a lamp, and it looks like a tree. And it's in the middle of the tabernacle. And it never goes out, just like eternal, the tree of life gives eternal life. So the light in this lamp never goes off. And then I guess uh, the last flashback is that at the end of the Garden of Eden, you get to read about how God made the Sabbath. Sorry, I couldn't get any majesty, anything majesty more than a chair. Okay? <laughs> Sabbath rest. Okay. So, end, end of the Garden of Eden, Sabbath rest. Yeah? Six days God made the world, seven day he rested. With me? Okay, but you read at the end of the making of the tent and chapter 31 and what do you find? No guesses you get to find the Sabbath. Above all, you shall keep my Sabbath because it is holy for you. For in six days work should be done. The seventh is a day of solemn rest. Because in verse 17, in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and on the seventh day 
he rested. So, end of Eden, Sabbath rest. End of making tents, Sabbath rest. The flashbacks are there all the time. So please, 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 don't look at this tent and think, boring. Look at this tent and think, this is a new, this is a new start for everybody who understands the tent. Keep listening. Because as well as telling us about the tent, taking us back to the Garden of Eden, it also takes you back to that big mountain where they met God in Exodus chapter 19. Now that big mountain in some places is called Mount Horeb, but mostly people call it Mount Sinai. And God met with his people. That's the very first time where God and a group of people are meeting together. And God tells them what he is like, reveals his character in the Ten Commandments. But now, you see, they're going to have to leave that mountain, aren't they? Because God didn't say, hang around this mountain for the rest of your life. He said, actually, I'm going to take you to a new country. It's going to be called Israel in the end. I'm going to take you there. But it's like they're going to take the mountain with them. Because it seems like the mountain is going to be in this tent. Watch the flashbacks all over again. The mountain has, if I can put it like this, three parts to it. Right at the top, who was that man allowed to go? Only one man was allowed to go. Name? Moses. Moses. Moses will have to get to the top. Then last week, if you were here, and why weren't you if you weren't here? <laughs> you, you noticed that the, the elders of Israel, they got halfway up the mountain. They were on the slopes. This was, if you like, the second stage of the mountain where the elders of Israel were able to go. Couldn't go up the top, but they could get there. And then right at the bottom, all the other people of Israel were allowed to meet with God and to hear his voice. Okay? The mountain had three different parts to it. Well, if you look at the way that the tent was arranged on the inside, it too had three parts. In this part, which they called the Holy of Holies, only one person was allowed to go once a year. That was the high priest. Then, in the middle part, they called that the holy place. Well, this is where there were sacrifices, where uh, the priests were able to go. And uh, where uh, they would uh, offer sacrifices and where they would eat some of those sacrifices, having offered them. And then where there was a table on which they had bread all the time, there was non-stop food in that middle part, the holy place. And that's just like last week when we realized that the elders of Israel were allowed to go into the slopes and eat with God. And here, in the middle of the tabernacle, are going to be people, if you like, eating in God's presence in the same way. And it's also 
where they've got their altar of incense. Now the altar of incense, uh, remember the tabernacle, the, 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 the hill was full of smoke when God was there. Remember the, the, the scene? Well, go back and read chapter 19 if you're an old person like me and you've forgotten. But lots of smoke. And then in the middle part of the temple, you get the altar of incense. It's like a kind of smoke machine. Okay? It's, it's, it's like creating smoke, sweet-smelling smoke, that fills the place to show you that actually this place is going to be like that mountain as well. Right at the end, last chapter of Exodus, when they finally get this thing all up and running, you will see smoke fills the place. It's like God saying, this is my mountain. I'm here. And then there's the outer court where all the people can come. Yeah, they can be there. And it's like saying anyone has got a place to listen to God and be close to him. And you might remember in the mountain, the big central point of the experience was, as the picture shows, the Ten Commandments. They showed you what God was like, and that was the central deal of what happened on the mountain. Well, in the special tent, the tabernacle, in the middle of the most important part of it, the Holy of Holies, was a gold box. And guess what? They put those tablets into the gold box. So that was the central part of the whole experience that they had. Just goes to show that the, the, the religion of Israel didn't have any pictures of gods. Every other religion had that. But they just had what God said. If you've got God, what God says and you've got his nature, you've got God. You never have God if you look at a picture of him. You've got to look at what he says to find out what he is like. That's what was in the center of everything. But let me tell you, it wasn't a kind of meeting place, this tabernacle, so that God's people could go and have a right proper knees up. Where it's just, you know, me and God and mates and, yeah, we're having a great time here. This was always all about people who were not God's people, all the other nations, looking in and saying, wow, I want to find out about God like this. So if you look at chapter 19 and verse 5 and 6, you will see that that whole reason for them being there was that they would be priests to the nations. Now in uh, chapter 19 verse 5, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession amongst all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation to everybody else. So other people can come close to God, because that's the job of a priest, to bring other people close to God as well. And the experience is going to be a fantastic thing, because if you look at uh, uh, just a couple of pages on uh, Exodus chapter 25, uh, and... Uh, uh, sorry, chapter 29 and verse 45. 
where it says, I will dwell among the people of Israel, and I will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord. So the rest of the world is going to be looking, my word, what an amazing nation to have a God like this living in them, living in the middle of them. I wish I had a God like that. It was always to be a nation that would be a light to the rest of the world. <clears throat> to get other people looking in, wanting to be there as well. And in a sense, that just doesn't go back to the mountain and God's saying, hey, you're going to be my special people and a priest of nations. This is actually, this tabernacle, it was actually there to show you what it was like at the beginning of the world. Because let me tell you what happened at the beginning of the world. People made a big mistake. They wouldn't listen to God. And you know what God did? When he sent them out of the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, when they rejected God, they were sent out of the Garden of Eden and they were told to go east. Okay? So if you look at uh, Genesis chapter 3 verse 24, back to the first book of the Bible. So I'm, I'm, I'm making you go back and forwards and uh, Sam it's a good good place to, to have a look as well uh, because um, the reason is we need to be we need to see how amazing it is that the, the, the flashbacks are real and so Genesis chapter 3 verse 24 God drove out the man and at the Easter garden he placed a cherubim and the flaming sword that turned everywhere to guard the way to the tree of life so there was if you like, a guard set up. So the people had gone to the east and now there's a guard in the east and they couldn't come back in again. Now let me tell you, you come in the tabernacle and what do you find? Every single doorway is facing east. So that uh, people can come in from the exclusion zone and come into the presence of God. It's really important to see how the Bible always has a view of uh, those who are not God's people coming in to be part of God's people. Every doorway facing east. So, what do we find out of all of that? Are we really saying that uh, uh, this tent that we're talking about, uh, it's just to look back at the Garden of Eden, it's just to look back at the mountain. Is that what this tent does? Looking back all the time? No. This tent is there primarily to look forward to the Lord Jesus. And if you look at John's Gospel, you wouldn't mind, would you? If I tell you the page, can you, can you, can you get that? Okay, I'll tell you the page. Uh, John's Gospel, uh, this is really exciting. Uh, John's Gospel, chapter 1, and that is on page 886. Okay, and it's like God's coming, coming to live with people, and it's, it's a bit like a, 
like a giant aircraft coming into land. So it starts off at very high altitude. John starts off where in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and, and so therefore we're way up there with God, right at the start, John chapter 1. And then we start getting closer. And then very soon in John chapter 1 verse 12, we can say, oh, look, there's, we're flying low. We can see John the Baptist baptizing people in uh, John uh, chapter uh, 1. Uh, sorry, in, um, uh, that, yes, in verse 6. There, there's, there's John baptizing and they're flying very low now. And then in verse 14, this is powerful. And in verse 14, we have touched down. The Word became flesh and tabernacled. The original Greek word is the Word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. Now with Jesus, we have the tabernacle of God. God living with His people. This is pointing the way forward to that and by his life by his death he did everything that that tabernacle was teaching us to do so for example in his life he was teaching people all the time he spent his life doing that just like uh, uh, God's word was central at the mountain in the tabernacle and with Jesus God's word is always revealing God's nature Jesus revealed what God was like through his teaching. And then he did that in his death. And in his death, he, if you like, offered the sacrifice that the high priest did. If you uh, wanted to, to read about uh, uh, the high priest, um, well, you can see what they did in, uh, go back to Exodus, we're finished with John now, and Exodus chapter 29 and verse 10 uh, will tell you uh, this is back to page 69 and uh, what happened was that uh, a bull was brought to what they call this the tent of meeting and what would happen is they would lay their hands on the bull and it's like all the things that they had done wrong was transferred by touch to the bull and then the bull was killed for what they had done <coughs> they had committed the wrong it was transferred onto the bull and the bull paid the price obviously there's a mismatch isn't there I mean a bull can't pray for a person differently but in picture form it did and there's another problem with this thing because actually these guys don't stop sinning so therefore there's lots and lots of bulls and, and therefore if you look at uh, chapter 27 verse 3 you need lots of utensils to keep emptying the, the ash because it has to happen again and again and again and again. So it's got to be repeated and repeated and repeated. So this tent... It kind of points to the solution, but isn't the solution, because it's, it never does enough. But it tells you this is the way the solution will come, as it points to Jesus. But then, 
when uh, Jesus offered the sacrifice, he died once for all. No repeats needed after that. So Jesus was, if you like, uh, uh, the commandments of God. Remember when he taught uh, the Sermon on the Mount? It's like he took people up a mountain and gave them the word of God, just like it happened at the Exodus. Now, he was a sacrifice. He, the sins were transferred onto him. He paid. And then, it's like he is the only one who could get into the Holy of Holies. And you know what happened the t time he died? I, I won't ask you to go look it up again because I stuck it on the screen for you. Um, but the time Jesus died, very fascinating. What happened? That curtain. Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple, remember the bit that cut off the Holy of Holies from everything else? No one could go in. God was fenced off. But the curtain of the temple was torn from instantly noticed, top to bottom. It wasn't like man got the scissors out and cut away up to God. It's God got the scissors out and cut away down to man. And if you read on Mark's Gospel, you will see the curtains now open to the east and the next person who comes in is the centurion who looks at what happened and says, this man was the son of God. Rank outsider. And now beginning to see that this was God. Starts making a response to him. And so all this tent was there. I, I didn't know why I've said in previous talks this is 3,000 years before Jesus. Actually, it's 4,000 years before Jesus. 4,000 years before Jesus, this tent is there helping us to understand how he will be the tabernacle that fulfills the teaching role, the sacrificial role, the high priest role, and he will do it all as this prepares us to get ready for him. Have you uh, got six-year-olds? Do, do you have any parents bought that uh, six-year-olds a little um, uh, book? Uh, whose shadow is is this? You know how it is. Uh, you see a shadow, um, and the, the, the little caption uh, says, okay, who is this with lumps and bumps? You see a shadow on a page with lumps and bumps, and you can't work it out. So you turn on the page, you say, ah, it's the camel. You see the next one, you can't work it out. So you turn the page, you say, ah, that's a, a, a porcupine. That's why it's got so many spikes on. And you can't work out this when you turn over and say, ah, huh, of course, it's a camel. That's why it's got, uh, uh, sorry, the, 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 it's a giraffe, that's why it's so tall. So you see the shadows, and then you say, ah, oh, yes, I, 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 So the shadows actually, they don't show you everything, but they show you enough to recognize the reality when you get to it, when the page turns over. Well, it's like this tent is, if you like, the shadow. Whose shadow is this? And you turn over the page and it's pointing to the Lord Jesus. So that when you read a part of the Bible, Hebrews chapter 9, verses 24 to 26, for Christ has entered. Talk about the tabernacle, that kind of language. Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, 
but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood not of his own, but then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. This whole tabernacle is telling us about him. So, what can we learn from all of this as we finish? First, if you're someone who is not a Christian, you're thinking about it maybe, and, and you want to say, okay, make it easy for me, please. How can, how can I understand Christianity? But, okay, I'll make it easy. Who's heard of Buckingham Palace? Okay, that's easy, isn't it? Okay, Buckingham Palace. When Buckingham Palace, when the royal standard is over the palace, it means the Queen is in. Yes? But let me tell you, you ain't going to walk in and have a cup of tea with her. She's there, but not accessible. Right? Well, my friends, that's really a helpful thing for us to understand when it comes to the tabernacle helping us to understand. Well, God is like, yes, God is there, but please don't think anyone can just simply wander in and say, Hi God, it's me. Can I sit down? It doesn't work like that. The only way we can come to God is through the Lord Jesus and his death for us on the cross. And we need to ask him because only he is the one who can open the curtains to let us in. And that has always been the case because right from the start, Adam and Eve and we are their children, we've walked away from God, all of us have done that. But now, it's like God has opened the, 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 the doorways and he's facing our way saying, come in. There is now a way back. You don't have to be if you like, in the exclusion zone, excluded, separated from God anymore. But let me equally say with seriousness, if we don't come in, the exclusion zone is where we are going to stay forever. The Bible calls it hell. That's what separation from God ultimately will be like. And we need to come in now with urgency and ask Jesus to let us in. Yes, there is a God, but it's like the tabernacle. You can only go into him because of the Lord Jesus. But the doors are open for you to do that tonight. But all you have to do is ask him for access. What happens if you've been to church quite a bit? Sorry. I'm running around now. You're not allowed to, to go in until the Lord Jesus opens the door. What happens if you've been to church quite a bit? And it is interesting, isn't it? 
That doesn't mean that he's left if you are one of his people genuinely. It shows that God likes living with his people and by his spirit he lives in you now. And he will never walk out. But there is another message, isn't it? For people who are genuine believers. And you can guess what that is? Our job is ultimately to be brought to face the world. That's ultimately what Jesus did. He, his purpose in blessing his people is to magnetize them, to draw others in as well. And so all the entrances face east. That is why Beckentry Church, if I can put it like this, I, I, I don't know actually, in a minute I'll, I'll look up my compass and I'll tell you whether that door is facing east or not. My, my, my suspicion is it's facing south. Okay? Um, uh, well, we're not going to go for planning permission and change that. But, but the fact is, as a church, we should be facing east. That is why this church exists to face our estate and to live to make Jesus known there. My friends, if you have no desire in your heart for other people to come in to the safety of God's presence with his people, then my friends, you are not a Christian. I'm, 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 I'm really sad to tell you that, but it's better for you to hear the truth than for you to live in a delusion. Because all God's people, the purpose of being one of God's people is to bring in those who are not his people into his family. This church exists to do nothing else. Yes, we love the blessings of God. We are very privileged to have a close, loving family. These are good things to savor and enjoy. But that is not an end in itself. Our job is to bring other people in. My friends, if you are not living for that single purpose, then I'm afraid somewhere along the line we've missed the point. Mm -hmm. And the tabernacle is here to teach us. Keep your doors of life open, facing east. People in the, no, in the exclusion zone need to be always given a way in. Well, let's uh, stop there. Uh, we'll pray and uh, then we'll take some questions if you'd like to ask some. So, Father, we do want to thank you. The Lord Jesus is the fulfillment of the tabernacle. Thank you that he makes your word central to our relationship with him. I thank you for the wonderful sacrifice that uh, anyone, as it were, can lay their hands on him, transfer their guilt onto him, in order that we might come into your presence fully forgiven. And we thank you, uh, Lord Jesus, that uh, you are our great high priest. You've uh, torn down that curtain. And there is not a single person on our estate who can't walk in to a close relationship with you. 
Father, how wonderful you are. Please help us as Christians to uh, praise you for uh, the, what you have done for us by remembering this tabernacle that we studied tonight. And we pray that for the glory of his name. Amen. Amen.